Hey, She Slays listeners. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Focus Academy. So you know chiropractic can help kids, but you lack confidence in your knowledge or communication skills to educate parents in your community. I've got a solution for you. The Focus Academy gives you the training and education to understand the why behind those wins and challenges you're seeing in clinic. They teach you how to perform a full brain-based exam, how to go beyond just the subluxation, but stay principled in your chiropractic approach and address and understand the consequences on brain development. They take a two-pronged approach. First, clinical solutions taught in a way that gives you full access to a deeper and more comprehensive understanding and breaks those techniques and approaches down into digestible and practical steps. Second, right now strategies you can employ wherever you are in your training. You'll learn how to seamlessly ask and answer the big questions in your clinical exams and re-exams and have it actually inform the whole child approach and care planning in a way your patients will understand. And since you're a She Slays listener, you'll get free access to the Focus Academy's Kickstart program. Just click the link in the show notes to get started on your journey to improving your practice. Hey, She Slayers, welcome to another episode of She Slays the Day podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Brunslick. I hope you're having a good day so far. I don't know what you're doing or when you're listening to this, but I don't know. Hope shit's not too crazy already. Oh my gosh, do you want to hear a funny story? So I am notoriously terrible with credit cards. Not like in a spending kind of way, although I am actually very bad at spending. But um, so I am bad in two ways with credit cards. One, my, like to me, personal and professional credit cards don't exist. Like there is no difference, even though there is a difference. And my husband has to spend a lot of time every month, like reconciling things because I put groceries on the business and I put yeah, most of the stuff I just put on the business by accident because I have like one personal credit card and like seven business. And I don't know. And then when I go to like randomly buy something on Instagram and it just like takes me to my PayPal and all it shows me is the last four numbers of like seven credit cards. I'm like, I don't know. I just picked the one at the top because it doesn't say like, hey, Lauren, this one's your business. So this has been an issue for a long time. Kirby doesn't like it, but he's, you know, got to gets over it. So the other day I am making a shake and uh, he is reconciling accounts and he's like, will you please be better about this? And I'm like, yeah, 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 uh-huh. Because he's asked me like 20 times in the last five years. I'm like, mm-hmm, sounds good. And so he starts listing off names of um, like business, like credit card businesses that from Black Friday that I had bought asking if they should be flagged as personal or professional. Because apparently I put like all my Black Friday shopping on the business credit card. Whatever. It was the top of the PayPal list. So he's going and I'm like, yeah, that's personal. And he's like listing off and he's like Target. And I'm like, mm, yeah, that's personal. And he's like Sephora. I'm like personal. And then he gets to Nasty Girl. <laughs> and I go, oh. That one's actually professional. That is a gift for one of my employees. And he just looks at me and I'm like, it's not a lingerie site. It's like one of those like Chinese clothing sites, you know, like Shein or whatever, all the different ones where everything's like $15, but you have to buy it in a double XL because, you know, and, and then like, but yeah, so the name on the like account that the credit card got charged to was Nasty Girl. And I'm like, no, 
Well, that one actually is professional. You you can leave that one. So, um, yeah, he laughed. I'm sure our accountant will think it's hilarious. But whatever. They, I got people. I got people who figure this stuff out for me. Okie doke. So if you are listening on the day of this release, um, which is Sunday, um, then you still have a couple hours left to get a huge discount on our mini reels course that is launching tomorrow, Monday. Um, and that promo code is going to be if you're in the weekly slays, um, group, you get our weekly little inspirational things, you're gonna have to go search for that promo code in your spam. Um, but if you're listening after Sunday, I can officially announce that our mini reels course is public to everyone, not just our email list. So the whole meaning behind the course that I created was that you know, Instagram is really pushing reels. Many people are using Instagram as their main form of marketing, especially during COVID right now, you know, Instagram and Facebook. And I'm seeing our audiences that we all share and are targeting with our social media. They're getting really exhausted by being sold to. And there's this great opportunity where Instagram is heavily pushing reels and people are wanting to be entertained and not sold to. And there's this beautiful middle that we as chiropractors or small business owners can take advantage of to get our our scrollers, our followers, we can get their attention and entertain them with education and get them to become intrigued by us, start following us and turn into a patient. But what I'm seeing is, is so many chiropractors are overthinking reels. And actually, no, I don't want to say that. I started using reels four months ago, um, maybe five months ago, like kind of when they first came out. And I wasn't doing TikTok because TikTok is, I don't know, I know people are selling on TikTok, whatever. We're not going to talk about that. TikTok is fun. TikTok is comedy. It is trends. It is dances and entertaining. I know there are plenty of chiropractors who are like probably getting tons of new patients from TikToks. Great. But what I like about Instagram reels is what trends better on TikTok are kind of those like more jokey, pointless things. And if you try and bring them over to reels and educate and while entertaining, they don't do as well. So over the last few months, I've been really kind of obsessed with understanding reels and what works over in TikTok and what works here and what can you get away with editing? How simple can you make it? Does the time of day matter? Does the cover image matter? Does the hashtags matter? Does like even what you write in the content matter? Like does the song matter? And it's really cool because I started realizing, realizing, oh, you guys, <laughs> um, in conversations with other small business owners in my town that use social media and other chiropractors that I know are really good at social media, having conversations with them, my eyes would just light up and I would just start talking a million miles an hour, trying to share with them all the information that I didn't even realize I had learned and all of the mistakes that I had learned. And so I was like, 
I chiropractors deserve to have this information because I do think it can make a huge impact on you getting your message out. I truly believe that. So um, I put it all into a mini course. I'm calling it a mini course because <laughs> the whole point of reels is condensing your message and not going on and on and on like I'm doing right now. Um, and like, get to the point, teach me what I need to know, give me that quick win. So I feel successful after I've watched this. So it's 10 short units, each unit is like five to 10 minutes long, we get straight to the point, you are going to get tactical information, the do's, the don'ts, here's what I did wrong, here's what you can learn. And even if you've created a couple reels um, already, you will feel very comfortable making more and getting more consistent because there are some people who are making reels, but it takes so long, two to three hours. I'm not joking. The average person spends 90 minutes making a reel. And so then you say to a doctor like, okay, and then like do that maybe two to three times a week. And they're like, you're joking, right? And it's like, well, if you're going to do it that way, you're right. That's unsustainable, insustainable, non-sustainable. I'm not sure. But here, look at all these time saving tips and things like that. You're over, you're like, you're overcomplicating this, but you're oversimplifying this. Like, I really, really think I can help. So the reels course is available through January 3rd of 2021. So if you were listening after that, I apologize. I'm sure it'll be re-released with updates at some point in 2021. Um, but for now, the cart closes on midnight on January 3rd. Um, and the entire course is only $39. So one, I would just love your support if you've been listening to the podcast for the last 82 episodes um, for free. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but I don't get paid for this. Uh, I intentionally don't fill the podcast with ads um, because I want this to be kind of a sacred space for us um, where you don't feel like you're getting sold to. And so if you're even remotely interested, I would really appreciate the support. It would really help. And as a give back to you for listening, um, we have a $5 off promo code. So it brings it down from 39 to 34. If you use promo code weekly slay. So no. Oh my gosh. Kirby's going to kill me. That was the original promo code for our email. He's going to be like, Lauren, you are useless. Um, the promo code after this Sunday, um, after Sunday, the 13th. So if you're listening after Sunday, the 13th, the promo code you get to use is she slays, and that's going to get you the $5 off. So Let's stop talking about me and talk more about me through a listener highlight. <laughs> Great. So this one I'm keeping private because she sent it to me in a DM and I don't like sharing people's intimate stuff or their name unless they give me authorization. So this says, Dr. Lauren, I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. I look forward to it on my commute to work at 5 a.m. It always inspires and motivates, motivates me for the day. I'm currently a nurse working at a hospital, but looking to switch career pathways into chiropractic care or something out of the Western medicine illness hamster wheel. I enjoy your down to earth talks and I too have spent a lot of time in Target in the candle aisles. Now I think I need to go take an Enneagram test. Thanks for your podcast and work that you do. Thank you 
so, so much. Um, I appreciate those DMs. Like, I feel like you guys have divine guidance on when I'm just feeling all the anxiety and imposter and what is this worth and why am I even doing this and am I having an impact? Um, and then all of a sudden my DM will just be like, Boop, just listen to this episode. Really appreciate you. And like, I just appreciate it, guys. All right. So let's move on to our guest today. I think this is a fun one. Um, because I like design. Uh, we just finished, for those of you that don't know this, Kirby and I built a brand new building. We've been renting for 10 years and um, officially this year we bought a building. Basically did a ground up remodel. Um, it started in March and we bought it because the location was fantastic and the price was great. And when I walked into it, I could just immediately see its transformation. So there were like eight walls and we tore down five of them and expanded and changed roof lines. So it wasn't a knockdown, but it was a huge project. Um, the only way I'm saying this, honestly, the only way that I did not lose my mother effing mind is because Kirby's Kirby spent between five to 10 hours a week for sure. He's probably listening to this going, yeah, that's all I spent just dealing with the bank and things like that. Um, I still had a ton of time having to work with the contractor and, you know, design and things like that. Way less fun details than shopping at Target and Wayfair.com. Um, so, this episode has um, a, so this is Carolyn, and she works from Crossfields Chiropractic, and she has over 30 years of experience, and she's gained a complete understanding of every aspect of the commercial interior industry. So what I really love is she has a bachelor's in interior design from um, the University of Texas at Austin, and she's a registered designer, but she, like, her company works with chiropractors like she gets it at a level of opening a practice that very few like she says in the interview like you will do this once every five to 30 years so we're not masters at knowing like where the front desk should go for optimal flow and all of these things she is. She's not a chiropractor, but she gets us uh, probably better than a lot of us even do and really can take you and like what your goals and your vision is um, and help you create it. This is not a sales pitch for them. I don't get any kickback. Um, it's just me coming out of a period of my life where I'm like, damn, that was terrible. Is there there's got to be an easier way to do it? And there there is. So if you're looking at even like remodeling a rented space or you know you're in the very beginning stages maybe you haven't even bought a space I highly recommend reaching out um, they have a special offer for our listeners today that is going to be in the show notes okay so let's do a prayer and get down to business Dear God, thank you so much for this season of reflection that is December of every year. Um, I feel like there is this really cool 
woo-woo connection between December. We, we know God, Jesus wasn't born in December. We don't know when, but enough science has told us it wasn't December. And I like to think that it was a perfect time for us to make up a complete fake date um, because it's this, it's this new life. It's this hope that was brought to earth. And what a great time as the calendar year shifts, as we look to 2021 and be with everyone who is expecting 2021 to be substantially different. Um, be with, you know, because I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of sadness and anxiety in January where it's like, oh, shoot, the calendar year changed, but we're still in this mess. But like, let us feel the hope that Jesus brought. Let us feel inspired that your timing is perfect and that you're the only one that's in control and that we have no control over whether this vaccine gets forced to upon us or our business gets asked to shut down a second time or whatever, whatever. But let us have peace and hope that you got this and your timing is great. And any time that something in the past, like something beautiful came out, it came out of ashes and it came out of something super broken. So I'm excited to see what you're doing with all of this. And I understand it may not happen January 1st. It may not even happen in the year 2021, but I do believe that there is, there is um, joy and hope to be had in this season and looking forward. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, peeps, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, it was fun. It was lighthearted. It was great and educational. So check out the show notes um, for the free specific thing they made for our listeners. They have some free resources. And then also, if you're interested in that mini reels course, you can check out in the show notes. We'll have the link to more information about it, as well as if as if you follow me on Instagram, it will be the link in my bio. All right, here is my conversation with Carolyn. Okay, Carolyn. So welcome to the She Slays the Day podcast. I love like people who are like, sure, I'll be on your podcast. But they agree before they know anything about me. <laughs> and they're like, so I've listened to some episodes and I almost feel like I have to be like, I'm sorry, which ones did you listen to? <laughs> so welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Okay, so before we get into kind of like the meat and potatoes of this episode and helping people, you know, design their dream practice or whatever, whenever they came forward to listen, um, I would love to hear more about you and like your education. What's your degree in and how'd you, how'd you get here? And tell how people did I end up yeah. getting here? Yeah, I ask myself that often. <laughs> Very organically would be the answer, right? Um, it's going, yeah, it was organic. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> no. Um, so I am a commercial interior architectural designer. I have a degree. I graduated. I could be your mother. And I graduated in 80 from University of Texas with a degree in interior design and architecture. So I've been doing commercial design for a long time. And um the way we got into chiropractic, per se, 
is kind of twofold. One is that we started doing work in Life University in 2003, and they had hired us to do facility design. So large university, and they had gone through some, I don't know where you were in school at that point, but that's when university was kind of imploding on itself, and it was between Dr. Sid and Dr. Reitman and that time. So we were doing facility work, large corporate type work. When I say we, I work with my husband. He's a commercial general contractor. And we were doing design build all over the Atlanta area where we live. And we continued to work with Life University for over 10 years. Well, 2003, basically 2016 was when we really did our last project with them. But we were very, very immersed in helping them um, elevate the university and you elevate by changing your space, which is the whole goal of an interior designer. So I'll just tell you this. I decided to become an interior designer when I was 14 and my father worked for NASA and he was involved in the, uh, space station design. This was in the sixties. And, um, he had an architect, an intern architect working with them to help develop the interior design of a zero gravity earth orbiting space station. So this, this definitely the 60s, the little guy, with the, the, he would come over and my father and him would just philosophize. And I really began to understand how space impacts people. It impacts your psychic. There's a and you mean that, like your environment, not like space out in the orbit. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Your environment. Yes, very well said. As, is, as, in, as in NASA, right? Okay. Right. But, so what their goal was is how do they keep these people in this small little space without going crazy? How did they change the environment? And so if you think about it, you change your emotions and you change your actions based on the space that's around you. And so there's very much a science to that. So an interior designer, the goal of an, what I got excited about is, hey, I could help impact people and impact people's and help people meet their goals. That's part of being a commercial designer also is that it's a business goal. The space is a direct relationship to their success mm -hmm. and it has to be thought of that way and in commercial design it is and we can go off into that you know I teach a bunch on that stuff but so what happened was that um, I was doing design at Life University design and construction and got just immersed in understanding the business of chiropractic okay? oh and also understanding yeah understanding the philosophies of chiropractic understanding the pains and the struggles and the pioneering and so many different things as we were there all the time. I mean, I should have had a, an office on their campus, but what, what that did was also make me see how, um, they just needed help to understand. I, I was going to say you <laughs> dysfunctional. It's okay. I know you want to. So, um, so that was kind of out there. So it was always an opportunity to kind of talk. And, and, and I didn't work with a lot of students, mostly with faculty and with administration and things, but I still got to be around the students. And then in 2009, so let me go back to the other side of it. The other side of it as a pediatric chiropractor. I want you to know that that's where I started with my daughter. So I didn't know anything about chiropractic. I thought you went to a chiropractor when you had a car accident. So that was it. That was 1991, 1990. And my daughter was born in 89 and very quickly developed tonsillitis and became chronic. So every three to four months, 
She came down with chronic tonsillitis, went to pediatrician, antibiotics, all of that. I didn't know anything different, differently right. at all. And um, I know it was God that, that produced these chiropractors around me to help me understand what chiropractic can do and how it could be used with infants. Okay. Well, my daughter was two at the time, but one was a, you, I'll just share this with you. One was a, um, a neighbor who had about 10 kids, delivered them all at home. You know, one of those, yep. right? And when, where I was, it was one of those. Yep, exactly. He shared Probably didn't even me. vaccinate those kids. <laughs> <laughs> he shared with me, you know, about, uh, he, deli- he delivered most of them with his was wife, right? He was a chiropractor. Yes, okay. I'm sorry. He was a chiropractor. I'm sorry. I missed that piece. Those kids were definitely not vaccinated then. <laughs> <laughs> they were not vaccinated. And, um, but he was telling me about, you know, the trauma of birth and, and adjusting immediately. And I was like, adjusting? You know, I'm thinking of how do you do that with a child? So he educated me on that. The other was um, my husband at the time, uh, my daughter's father, other husband. Yep. <laughs> Her husband, um, he actually had. Um, we were at a, a hotel lobby, a restaurant in a hotel, and there was a pediatric chiropractic convention going on. And we were in the middle of just hearing these stories, these miraculous stories that these pediatric chiropractors were sharing. And the wow, this is amazing! So that was another, you know, opened my mind. But the third one was a student. And that was a student at Life University. She was the roommate of my daughter's babysitter. Okay, so my daughter had a babysitter. She was single, lived with Dr. Karen. And so Dr. Karen was the one who talked me into getting Lauren adjusted and went into the clinic at Life University. And at the time, you couldn't just take your child. You had to go too. So it was Lauren and I, and I was going through a divorce. And um, Lauren was two and a half or so. So I trusted Dr. Karen and Lauren knew her. So we went through adjustments about two or three months into the popcorn experience. Um, Lauren came down with tonsillitis every three or four months on a regular basis, right? But I did not go to the pediatrician. I did everything that Dr. Karen told me to set, told me to do. I don't remember all of it, but I remember some. One, the biggest one I remember is I couldn't give her any Tylenol. And I had to keep her, her, and that was scary for a mom. It's scary as a parent. Yeah. So I didn't know what, but it it took us about the two or three days to get through it with the same kind of reactions as she had when she was on antibiotics, you know? So I didn't experience anything worse than I would have with the pediatrician. In fact, she probably got through it faster if I really thought about it. But I was a little bit on pins and needles. But Dr. Lauren, she still has her tonsils. That's and the pediatric, the pediatrician wanted her tonsils out at okay. two years old. And I was just avoiding that it. Time, they were yeah. like, get them out. Yeah. So that, so we didn't go back to the pediatrician for over a year or well baby checkup. And we've been in the pediatrician every three or four months, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, what happened? I said, oh, she was, you know, she's under chiropractic care. So am I, she's been healed of this tonsillitis. She was delivered with forceps. That had a lot to do with this condition. I began to understand, okay? Mm-hmm. So the pediatrician, this was 91, 92, mm-hmm. was like, you know. A very oh. incremental year if you look at <laughs> the, like Supreme Court lawsuits. There's some yeah. big stuff that happened in 91 between chiropractic and the AMA, but yeah. <laughs> and so what that did is that started to shut me down to the medical 
the medical answers and opened me up to the holistic answers. And it's been a journey. So we're under chiropractic care. Um, my grandson is got adjusted a week old, you know, and so it's just, it's part of life now. No vaccines, all of that, you know, That's so amazing. with that, I was already a passionate chiropractic patient way before starting to work at Life University. So I saw this passion. I saw this that could help people. I saw these chiropractors struggling. And I had my chiropractor ask, um, had an intern doctor. He was a student at Life. And he said, why don't you go help him open? I was under, you know, under maintenance care. So I helped him open. I bartered with him. He was around the corner from me, helped him open his office. That was 2009. And I got passionate about helping a startup, got help, passionate about helping a small business as opposed to a large corporation. And, uh, but didn't really think that that's what I was going to do. But the sequence of events from 2008, 9, and 10 is Life University started asking us to teach classes, which I developed a class that I still do free just to teach chiropractic students the importance that your environment has on your success and the process to get there. So those are the two pieces we teach. And then I also, um, through word of mouth, opened up three other, helped three other students open and said, you know, what can we do here? So we took um, our expertise and we tried to create a customized design system that we do virtually all over the country. So we do virtual design through the internet and we go all the way through helping figure out how much space you need, all the way through the construction process or somewhere in between. So um, that's what we do. And that's what we, so we started that in 2000, I guess seriously started in 2012. Okay. And um, yeah, so we've been doing that ever since. So you see, you know, just getting our name out there, getting our word out there, getting people to help, lots and lots of resources. So we started out just with the goal to teach. Mm -hmm. Okay, just the goal to teach. In fact, it started out as a Facebook. This is when Facebook just had pages, just Facebook. And I would do posts and I would write a few blogs here and there. And, you know, just it was just to educate. And then it became a business after that. That's why I I just hire you. Can I just I want to hire you to take my space. (laughs) So you actually started with startups, which I find interesting because I mean, is this, is this a myth within interior design that it's only for like rich people who can like afford that? Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. How, tell me about that. That's that's something we have to overcome, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So yes. Keep going. So tell me about some of your work, like what, um, what advice you'd give for like a startup? Like, cause the big thing I always say, but it's only because it was my experience is that go super small and functional versus like going too big. But like, tell me what, what kind of recommendations do you typically give when you're working with a startup? Well, the, the, we have a, we have developed what we call six steps. Okay. And the very, very first step we do, and this is when I teach the classes, Um, is that the very first thing you do is you need to know how long this process is going to take. I don't know how long yours took, but typically it's about a year from the time you start thinking about it till you actually open your doors. We've seen that with startups. We've seen that with established. If you really process through that, but to go through exactly a year from the time we bought a place to move in. There you go. There you go. 
So the um, the piece that we talk about is that is you talked about going small. You need to go as efficiently small as you can, but you don't need to be so small that you're going to outgrow it in a year. So you need to balance it against your goals, okay? And how long your lease or how long you buy or whatever. So it's a what we do and we call our step one, and it's very consultative. It's like coaching of sorts, more than design. And we process through what are your goals? What do you tell me about your practice? We have forms that you fill out, just like gathering history on a patient. Mm-hmm. And we really in, spend time interviewing to turn around and say, okay, this is your ideal square footage. So knowing your most ideal square footage is a key. And what we do with a lot of, and we've done it with startups and we've done it with established, is that if they do that before they go look for space, then they can be real confident in knowing the range of space they can afford, okay? So you go on the smallest space that you can afford to still have the practice that you want, that you haven't compromised some of the services that you want to offer. You you know what I'm saying? You've looked at... Well, so yeah, that I have a question on that because so I talk to, when I talk to students, um, they'll come like shadow me for a day or something and we'll talk like, all right, so what's your graduation plan? And they'll start talking about, you know, what, how they want to practice. And I find that sometimes they're like, oh, and then I'm going to have like this area for nursing. And then I want, so like, do you, is that one of the hurdles you have to get over of like when you're talking to a startup, you know, and I don't think the money amount, well, yeah, specifically a startup, they're like, they've been picturing like, this is what my dream practice is going to look like. How do you burst their bubble of like, okay, but what do you really need? Like, yes, it would be lovely if you had a room devoted to meditation and nursing in your practice. That sounds like some, yeah. So like, how do you, you know what I'm asking? Like, how do you kind of coach them of like, that sounds like something that you might be able to incorporate down the road, but not right now. You know something, it actually happens naturally when we actually go through it, okay? Okay. So let me just kind of walk you through it. Let's, so you come, you come and you're going to open, you just recently did this. You had to figure out how big your space needed to be, right? Somewhere along the way, you had to figure it out. What we, we do is we actually quantify on an Excel spreadsheet. And this is what I teach the students too. I have to take an Excel spreadsheet and just list the rooms that you need. And then from the inside out, how, much, how big do each one of those rooms need to be? And, or areas, and there's we have a whole bunch of resources on our website that I'll make sure your your yeah. listeners do on trying to calculate that square footage. But you do that, and you calculate it, and we always have two columns. That's what that's what we're talking about here. We have a column of the very minimum, and then we have a column of what we're going to call that maximum. Yeah. And what we tell them is the maximum is not necessarily what your tenure from now practice is. It's just if you were going to go look at a space, we're going to come up with the square footage variation between the very smallest you can be and maybe the very largest you'd want to consider. Well, usually when they come to us, they've already done some research on how much the square foot, how much the a space is the cost in the areas they're looking for, the real estate values, right? And so if they're I'm going to use two doctors that we've worked, you know, our beginning doctors that we talked about. One of them was working, opening in rural, not rural, but suburbia. 
in kind of a class B strip center in 2008. Real estate was cheap, mm. super cheap. So he got as big as he could possibly get, right? He didn't, he couldn't even fit into it because of the deal he was getting on the space, right? And at the same time, six months later, we opened one in Midtown Atlanta, super high rent district, even in 2008. So one of them had, they both had the same kind of corrective care practice, same kind of things that they wanted in their space. But one opened up into a 2,400 square feet, one smushed down into 1,100 square feet. And they made those decisions based on a series of compromises. Yep. What was the cost of their space going to be and how much money could they create from those spaces? So that's part of that analogy. Do you follow me? So if a nursing room is going to be add value and bring money into your practice, then spending the square footage on it is worth the money. It's a return on investment. It's all a return on investment. So I'll just put a rocking chair in the living or in the waiting room. It'll be fine. (laughs) If you have, if you have a pure pediatric practice and it's holistic, People will nurse wherever they want to nurse. Exactly. Right? <laughs> we'll whip up their boobs. Okay. We, we, I laugh. Um, I'll just have to share this with you. We have um, three designers. They all work remote. But one of them came from more the banking industry and stuff, always really corporate type. And she's loving working one-on-one with, you know, doctors and students. And stuff. But she cracks me up. She goes, okay, I got another one nursing on the screen today. So... <laughs> So you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Welcome to our world. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So where were we in the six part process? We're so. at step one. Okay. okay. All one. right. Perfect. Yeah. So number one is the, is very, very, very important. And that's how many square feet do I need? And then how does my space need to flow? Cause you've got, you heard form follows function. You've heard of that before. Form mm-hmm. follows function means that you can, it doesn't matter how pretty it is if it doesn't work. Right. It has to function. It has to function. You have to make that happen first. So the how, going through that analysis of how many square feet you need, how big the rooms need to be. We have, uh, we have chiropractors come to us that um, already have space laid out. And nobody's told them that, okay, you want three adjusting rooms in this space. But your adjusting table won't even fit in that room. Have you really looked at that? You know, how much space do you need around the table to be efficient? You get a room that's too small, you're not efficient anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If you're having to squiggle around things or your hallways aren't wide enough or some, So some of those practical things that um, we can bring and, and educate. And like I said, we've got most everything I'm telling you is written somewhere on a blog on our website. I have so many resources. It's amazing. <laughs> So anyway, with that being said, that's where we start. And then the goal is that now you know that the other piece of design, and this is where the interior design luxury thought process is kind of an, a misnomer, is that a true interior designer is form follows function and gets the function working beautifully and, you know, and just making sure that those things are going to happen well. And then the form develops because of that, okay? So we don't take on clients very often, very seldom, I shouldn't say never, that bring us a floor plan and just want us to make it pretty. Because there's usually functional problems in it. I've, I, we, if we take them on, we say, I need to be able to 
address the functional things also. And usually we find a bottleneck or, you know, these spaces weren't big enough, or you said you want 20 people in your waiting room and you have room for two. Has anyone thought that? Because a, a typical architect will draw out a plan without the furniture and the equipment and the things mm-hmm. in it. So an interior designer learns to draw to design from the inside out, from the function of the space first. So that's number one. Then number two is now that we have that, what is your branding going to be? Because your office space is your most expensive marketing piece. Yeah. And it better be working for you and not against you. Okay. It does not have to look like a Taj Mahal. If you go on our website and you see our portfolio, most of those people on our portfolio, there's a few here and there, but most of them are, they bought that building. They own it. This is their second or third practice, you know, things of that sort. Or they, or they are changing, you know, there's, I can go through them and, you know, most of them have a reason that they came to us. Most of the time they've done it before and they don't want to do it again because it's a very difficult process. It's a very difficult process. (laughs) All of our listeners have been like watching my slow mental breakdown in 2020. Don't worry guys. I'm in the space though, but yeah, CBD became a necessary CBD and meditation because it is grueling. It, it, It can be. So what our goal is, is to be the one like a coach to get you through it. That doesn't tax you. Because we know what to do. You know, we know the process. So when I wrote the, um, so when I told you I started on Facebook, I had a, um, I wrote this little e-booklet that I was going to offer to your, your listeners that the five biggest mistakes that chiropractors make when they open an office. And the number one was then in 2000, I think I wrote it in 2011, and it still is now, is they don't really understand the process. There are over and you've been through this, there are over 3,000 decisions that you have to make when you open an office. And if you don't know- On the low end even. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Yeah. Okay. And if you don't know the sequence that they need to happen in, you'll be running around like a chicken at the end trying to catch up and things will happen. So when we design spaces, the, the beauty of hiring an interior designer and architect to take you through the whole process is that when you get to the end, it's easy. It's all done. You know what I'm saying? We're guiding you. It's just like, uh, I had a chiropractor said, it's just like getting someone under care. It's like hard, hard, hard at first, and then it gets easy. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what we do also. It's like we focus on all those decisions up front, and we get the drawings tight, and we get everything's done. So when it goes to the contractor, there essentially are no change orders. Do you know what I'm saying? So putting that money in up front saves that money and time and energy and effort on the back. Yeah. I mean, we had a weekend where like we realized, okay, they're drywalling. um, And our contractor was like, okay, so if you're going to want to, because they just painted everything one color. They're like, if you're going to want to do any other paint, you're going to want that to happen this weekend because we're putting the flooring in next week. And I was like, I don't have paint colors, let alone, apparently this is what I'm doing this weekend. So it was like all hands on deck, everybody who can hold a paintbrush, but also I'm very anal about painting. So I wouldn't necessarily let anybody paint. And so, yep, it was just like, okay, I guess we are painting this weekend. And yeah. And then it just kind of like your own, you painted your own place. Well, they painted everything. Like you painted uh, all the accents. You painted all the detail. Yeah. We painted two bathrooms and like, 
a rainbow and like five accent walls and then like did yeah mm-hmm but like I came from like a very uh, design focused mom. Okay. So it was very natural to me where I was like, I'm not going to pay someone a hundred bucks to paint that wall. I'll paint that wall. I can do it. <laughs> so, there you go. But anyways, okay. So that sounds wonderful. That <laughs> hard, easy. Cause we kind of went like easy, hard. Yeah. It, and that's, and that's our most, um, most of the people that hire us have been through it. And understand that we can, you know, make it easy at the end. Mm-hmm. So, and make it, and and understanding this is the difference, right? Is um, a student has more time than they have money. But they also they, have no idea what they need. They don't, but they have more time than they have money. A practitioner that hopefully has built a successful business in the five to 10 years that they're working, you know, they're starting to, like I heard you had paid off your loans and those things mm-hmm. that, that in itself is a miracle. So not a miracle in a bad way. No, it's it is a miracle. <laughs> much to be, much to be celebrated. Yeah. So is you have to learn business to do that. And so you become a good business person and you grow, you begin to understand that I'm going to hire people that are experts to get me through this instead of the other way around. So in some ways, yes, our more ideal clients do come to us having have gone through it and have more money than they do time. Not like they're rich, but they just realize that their time is better value spent somewhere else. Right. But that doesn't mean that we don't help the students also. So, yes, we do. They just don't necessarily. We do, I do have two or three of them on our website, honestly, that are startups. And they did start up with it. Most of the ones, though, that start up, well, no, I have a couple on there that started right out of school startup. So it just, it just depends on where they're coming from and what yep. kind of money they've saved to start up and what kind of things they're doing or how they're doing. You know, there's so many variables, so many variables. <laughs> okay. So are we to number three of the step of the six? I just kind of got all the way through two, three, four, five, but let oh, me talk. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> so let me, let me tell you this. There's six steps. The six steps is the first one is discover, which is how much space do you need and what is your vision? What's your branding going to be? Then that helps you set you on the course to go look for space. Okay. Then you find space. And step number two is, does this fit for me? And so we do what we call explore. So what we do very differently than someone's architect or someone would do is we look at every different way that space can be laid out as possible. We never want to stop. Because we don't ever want anyone to walk into a space and go, I wonder if I had done this, what would have been different? We want to do all of that, flush it out. It's so much cheaper to do it on paper than it is to do it after the fact. So we call that explore. And we end up with what we call a floor plan and kind of a vision for the space. Then that helps validate, should I buy this space? Should I lease this space? It's all part of the due diligence. Okay, it's done before you actually start spending money on the space. We call that step two then usually you can get a soft budget from there, a cost per square footage, something, you know, not something you can, you can get a loan from, but something you can start the process. What do you think it's going to cost? Conceptual budget, all those things. Then once that feels good and everything seems to come together and you're ready to start investing in space, we go into step three, which is actually just developing the architectural drawings, which are where lots and lots of decisions are made. But the foundation up here of step two will build that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's where the, all the decisions are made. 
And at the end of that, we have a really strong pricing document. It's not ready to build from 100%. It's not a permit drawing yet, but it's enough for you to get really, you can get pricing, you can get SBA loans from it, et cetera. Okay. What piece is not done yet are all the interior finishes and things of that sort. So that actually happens in what we call step four. And part of the reason we wait till step four to do it is because if there is going to be value engineering or cost reduction, it typically is in the finishes. Yeah, it is, you know, because you can't not build a room. Right. You know, (laughs) you have the bathroom. You need to have that bathroom. You might not get to have that tile. Exactly. Exactly. So that's expensive. So you've been there. You've been there. You know. So that's where the value engineering comes in. Although that is put into the pricing document. So allowances and ideas and things are put into the pricing document. It's just no time and energy have been put into actually picking those elements yet. Mm -hmm. the The selection process. So then we do the selection process at step four. And then step five is where we turn the whole thing into permit drawings. So one of the knowledge bases is a permit drawing and a construction drawing are not necessarily the same thing. Okay. So a permit drawing is what the city needs to know or the municipality or the state. In Wisconsin, it's a state thing first. So you you went through that, the permit process, right? Mm -hmm. It's what they want to look at. It's what they want to know. They want to know safety and they want to know energy efficient efficiency. They want to know you've met the building codes, which really relates to safety, 88, but it's very code driven. The construction drawings are detail driven. So that's why that pricing set can, could theoretically be built from. It's just waiting for the legal things that have to go on top of it for the, the state. Does that make sense? Yep, absolutely. And then step number six is actually during the construction process, we have weekly meetings like this with our contractors to make sure that everything is going well. So typically the the chiropractor is really busy with us in the beginning, but by the time we get to step five, you know, we meet with them, but they're not having to make decisions anymore. And if something comes up in the field, we're making the decision. But very few things come up in the field because we've already fought through them way over here. So that's that process. So that's our whole process. That sounds lovely. That sounds (laughs) (laughs) Just rewind back into 2019 and make a different decision for my life. Um, Okay, so what are some of the mistakes you've seen people make um, in opening their practice from a design functionality form way? Okay, so I... Uh, the very first one is not understanding that process. So when I teach the, just understanding the time, understanding the sequence, understanding all of that so that they're not running around at the last minute painting walls, right? Like you had to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just kind of understand the sequence of things that, that are going to happen. So what we do in our classes is I say, you, you, there's no way you can learn all of this. That's not your goal. You, you're only going to do this once every seven years anyway. So, but your goal is to know what you don't know, to don't go into it thinking you know everything. So we know um, with all love to the chiropractic profession, they have a tendency to be pioneers and think they know a lot of things. They're Renaissance people, right? <laughs> and I understand that. this way anybody has ever described exactly <laughs> what you're doing. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can do it. They can do it. They can do it. And that is what makes them so amazing. And yet at the same time, difficult to work. Well, you know what? If they're entrepreneurs, any entrepreneur is a renaissance type person. One of the hardest things you've been, you've talked about business development and personal development. One of the hardest things is learning what to let go of, right? And what not to. So that's a whole nother, another subject. But as you go through that, that is to me, one of the biggest mistakes they make is just not being willing to ask for help. Uh, whether it's help from colleagues, whether it's help from practice management groups, coaches, people like us, whatever. And they make mistakes that they didn't have to make. Do you know what I'm saying? They didn't have to make in some area of that, in building. And not just building, but in practice and in business. That's why, you know, coaches are amazing for that, to help people through those things. So that's the biggest one. And then the second one, I wrote these down from the, so I have this second one is the realistic budget. So we have so many people that come to us and say, well, I should be able to build this out for $20 a square foot. And I said, where did you get that number? And they said, well, my, that's what my buddy did. Well, the buddy space and your space are totally different spaces, you know, yep. <laughs> it's like, where's that coming from? So just not having an educated budget you know, and not getting their budget from valid sources. Um, and, you know, we have resources and costs and analysis, but, but the budget is so much about where they're starting, you know, what kind of condition the space is that they're starting from, yeah. even more than the finishes. The difference in nice finishes versus basic finishes may only be $5 a square foot, you know, $5 a square foot in the build out. but they have to know that the rest of the space, just putting in the infrastructure can cost $25 to $50 a square foot just to put the air conditioner in. And the smaller the space, the higher the cost per square footage. That's another misnomer. Oh, really? Really, because what you're dealing with is you don't have that opportunity to spread the cost over, over you know what I'm saying, over space. Yeah. So you have you have an air conditioning unit for this space and you get bigger, it's the same air conditioning unit. You know, it's so, like very yeah, little thing. The whole like, well, my buddy has a clinic exactly like I want and that was their price. I'm going to do it in half the footprint. You would not take the exact uh, price per square foot. No, you would You would not take the exact price. It would go up. So, um, and, and just think about it. You have to have the most expensive things in your office are your plumbing your heating, ventilation, air conditioning system, and your electrical system, right? And then depending on what you're dealing with, if you're putting x-ray in and whether you've got the, the load for the x-ray and some of those things that can cost you, but your lights, your outlets, all of those things that are running through the space, those are the three most expensive things in a space are the three foundational things that you really can't change. But those are not going to as they dispensate over larger spaces, the cost per square foot goes down because the concept, it's not as concentrated. Do you follow me? So that's one. So the third one, let's see, what did I write down here? Oh, you asked me about um, knowing how much space they need. Mm -hmm. So there's a fine line between having just enough space to get by and having too much space. And understanding that I'm going to design, I'm going moving into this space. It's costing me a lot of money. The average person's in their space five to seven years. That's the average, right? So 
where am I going to need to be? What's my business plan in five to seven years? And is this going to hold me? Because it should. You should be able to hold you. And there's lots of ways to do that where you use, I mean, I can go into that for a little bit, but um, how can you multi-purpose space? How can you, you know, how can you grow without needing more space? Those are questions. You know, how can you grow people? How can you multi-purpose rooms? How can you, you know, or if you multi-purpose rooms, is that going to actually keep you from growing? I'll, I'll throw an example. You have yeah. an x-ray and exam, okay? You, the way you go through your practice, your day one, your day two practice, you may be going through it needing the x-ray and you have your CA basically set up the x-ray and stuff. Well, if somebody, if you're, if it's an x-ray exam, you can't have an x-ray and exam going on at the same time. So that slows down the amount of people that can run through during that time. But your square footage is probably less because you've multipurposed a room. So you have to weigh those against mm -hmm. each other. It doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong. It just is what is right for you in yep. your space. What you are looking at a practice and you're trying to, you know, like you're like, OK, you kind of need to make this work for another year or two. Like where, where do you recommend doing multipurpose? Like where can you recommend starting combining things or, you know, creating more space? If you're already in the space. Yeah. That's what you're saying. If you're already in the space. space and you kind of got to like you're too you're getting too big for the space, but you have two years left on your lease or, you know, like where do you start to work with that person? Honestly, it is in the timing of how you use the space to okay. me more than it is the space itself. So Ooh, does me. that make sense? Tell me so more. It, de it depends on how the space was designed. So um, let me see if I can give you some examples. Um, if the space was designed with a combination x-ray exam room, for example, and that is slowing you down, you have to figure out what's slowing you down. Where are the bottlenecks happening? Does okay. that make sense? Yep, yep. That's so you begin to see, okay, it's slowing me down to have this x-ray and exam room because I can't run two new people through or re-exams through like I want to. I have to, so I can either stagger it in a way that that's not a bottleneck anymore or I can look at how can I separate it and what can I take away from? So that's where you play with it. Does that make yeah. sense? Yes, it does. So it's like thinking about, well, where's your bottleneck? Where's your bottleneck and you have basically have two solutions, how you use the room, right? And when you, how you, how and when you use the room. Well, those are the two questions, how you use the room and when you use the room, because we've seen chiropractors decide that that's a bottleneck for them. And then they actually take one of their adjusting rooms and maybe they have semi-open adjusting rooms. They close it up and it becomes a combo adjusting exam room because they're not doing adjusting at the same time they're doing exams. Then they can run exams through in a period of time and adjusting through a period of time. So that, but they have to decide how to make that work for them, right? Um, we've seen them just hire associates. So the office is open longer. So the associates run in part of the time, they're running part of the time. You know what I'm saying? That's another way you do it. You just, you get, you personally, yeah, yeah, you personally don't need to work more hours. But how can you benefit from, you know, most chiropractors aren't open hardly 40 hours a week, honestly, most of them. I had somebody ask me the other day because we closed down from like 1230 to three o'clock. And um, she was like, what? And I'm like, I don't know. 
it's just what everybody else does. So I took a two and a half hour lunch break. And then I like felt the need to defend myself. So I was like, you know, adjusting is hard on the body. I need breaks. <laughs> They're like, and why do you close at 10 a.m. on Fridays? I'm like, because my body needs a break. <laughs> Everyone else does. I know, it is funny. You know what? It, one of the funny things is that when we were doing all that work at Life University, when we would have to do some renovations on areas, it was it was the cycle, you know, it was that cycle that you guys learn this in school. They don't have classes between 11 and 1 on most campuses, you know, it's just like, or 11 and 3 or something, I don't know, a really long lunch. You just don't even do it. You just, everybody shuts down during that period. So I know it, it is, but yeah, it's that idea of what can I do differently? It's not just the space that I need. It's the way I practice within the space that may be looked at. Okay. It has to be weighed out. You know, it may be more affordable to move to another space than hire another couple of associates. I don't know. But yeah, you have to crunch the numbers because yeah. so many times people are like, oh, well, no, I can't afford to hire an associate. And it's like, mm, are you sure? Are you sure about that? Like, yeah. Maybe. yeah. Okay. Yeah. If they start to produce money for you, you can. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Right. And you, but you have to weigh that out. Do you want to be a manager? I mean, that goes into another, another whole nother <laughs> thing. Okay. So, right. okay. Let's see. What was my next one? Oh, the fourth one on the list was marketing. So the biggest mistake we see chiropractors make is they spend their energy building a new office. They spend their energy on that office instead of marketing. The biggest thing that a chiropractor can do is be themselves, right? And be out there being themselves. And how can that, and just getting out there and being and working on the business instead of in the business. And in that situation that, and I'm not gonna say that this is bad or good, but this is what I see a lot with students. We're going to build out the space. We're going to do all the painting. We're going to do all the, you know, I'm not, I'm not negating it. I'm just saying they're doing that when they could hire somebody and go out there and market for their first practice. Mm-hmm. Them being out there, getting their face out there and marketing. That is one of the things that you're, you're an entrepreneur. Chiropractors, not what, 75% of you are entrepreneurs. You have to be. And, you know, that's, that's, if you don't have the sales, you don't have the money to have the space, right? Yep. So that part. I can totally see that. Um, I mean, we, so we moved in October 5th to our new space. And I think it was our team meeting mid-September that I was like, okay, I don't have the bandwidth to figure out how to like promote this, but we have not been promoting the fact that we're moving into this building. Can you guys like brainstorm some ideas? Like we just had like not been marketing. And so now, you know, we'll, it's fine now that we're in, we'll market like, Hey, we're here and we'll just pivot. But like, if I was opening a new practice where it was like, I could easily see where it's much it's within a comfort zone to be like, well, I'm going to go to Sherwin-Williams and pick up paint colors and I'm going to go to Target and look at throw pillows instead of being like, no, you're going to get on the street and go door to door meeting all the businesses in your community. Um, It sounds like a very, you know, kind of like how students will clean the grout in their bathtub before they're studying for finals because it's like this seems more like I want to do 
It is. It is. And, and then I, you open and you're like, oh, I've been working on building this practice instead of like working, working in the practice instead of on the practice. Yeah. Exactly. And especially in it, with all due respect, you know, I'm an interior designer. Those that enjoy this, it's fun. It's a diversion. It's fun stuff, you know, to do. Um, so, yeah, you have to decide. I, I will tell you this. Uh, the chiropractor that I helped barter with that I told you about in 2008. So he graduated in 2008, which is probably around, when did you graduate? You've been 10. 2010. Okay. So he graduated at the, the bottom, mm-hmm. right? There were no loans. You could not get a business loan to start. So he started his practice on $50,000 of credit card available allowance. Now, he was an excellent at financial management. He got out of debt in two or three years, his whole school loan. He didn't max out every time he got money. You know what I'm saying? Every time he got money, he was conservative all the way through school. So he kind of had, he was a little different in that. But saying that, he actually made a decision. He actually did some of the framing, did some of the painting, did some of the stuff on his office at night when he couldn't market. Mm-hmm. And he marketed all day long. And he started out with 300 people a week the first month. Holy cow. I'm not kidding. He had, he had, he had workshops in his office. He would have, he was only supposed to have 60 people max in his office. He'd have 100 people in his office doing workshops. He just marketed. Yeah. So he's now gone and he sold his practice and he does functional medicine and he's a marketer. I don't know if you know David David Jockers. I don't don't know. David Jockers. Okay. He's more into functional medicine now than he is. um, Than Enneagram three. Hmm. What? Are you familiar with the Enneagram? You know what? I know of it, but I haven't ever done my own. So I don't know. So talk to me. That's all right. We we don't need to go down that uh, down that rabbit hole. But I was just analyzing that doctor, going like, "Hmm, he seems like an ideas guy." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so anyway, so saying that you're not marketing, and then the very last one is not having a support system. So being a lone person out there as an entrepreneur, and not having people to to support you and help you and educate you and have the right team around you and everything, I. I don't even understand how you wouldn't have that. But we we saw that. We saw that with chiropractors. You were saying something about the the person that um, I can think of one. He actually was in Madison, Wisconsin, and he was starting out and he had some money from his dad and he had a great allowance on his space and he had great vision and and um, we helped him get the plan done. And then he took the concept and he did the decorating. He and his girlfriend did the decorating and I remember checking on him and he had like one or two new patients. He'd been out there for two, three months while the construction was going on. And so he just wasn't, I was like, okay, that's not, that's not going to work, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know he didn't stay in business because he didn't have it in there, you know? So it's hard. And I know that that's hard for, for chiropractors to get out of school and think about they're going to open their own business and change the world, but you become an entrepreneur. You have to become an entrepreneur. You have to think business, which that's what you're speaking to, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, okay. yeah. ask me some ask me questions that are totally different. How's it, how about that? 
Yeah. Okay. So what is one of the smartest things you've seen or like most creative that you've seen a more family oriented chiropractor put in to their practice when they were like thinking about it? What's the most creative in a family or like something that you were like, oh, that's a good idea. Like, um, yeah, or like that you said, even if you suggested it, that like turned out the best of like, that was a really home run thing to do in a family practice. Well, um, there's a doctor that we work with here in Atlanta that is a pediatric family practice, very pediatric driven. And she probably has the most friendly pediatric space that I've seen. Um, I've, we've, we've actually done some offices where they build a big playroom and the kids go in there and they're real busy the whole time. But what she did is she does open adjusting. So everybody's involved and she's created this community. And it's a community of moms. It's a community of kids. It's community. And they come in, you know, they know when they're going to you know, I'm going to get adjusted at three o'clock on Wednesday. So, so do all my friends, you know, it's mm-hmm. she's created community and she's done that in the space itself. As you walk into the space, there's an area, but she also has moms that, you know, want to get pregnant, you know, which are not going to want to be there in the middle of the kids at that point. Right. Yeah. We're still, you know, some of them are even struggling with wanting to be pregnant. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So, so she has an area that is more adult And then she has an area that's more family and the family area is like bench seating with seating, you know, where kids sit on the floor and it's just, it's very inviting for children to be a little bit of toys, stuff to write on. Maybe she has a marker board and things like that on the wall. And then the other side is not, but it's still open to each other Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't separate the community. So trying to figure out how to do that is sometimes difficult because you have to, work you have to make that work in the space and then her adjusting area is wide open so everybody hears everybody's story so that was her goal was to create wide open. we just moved huh? we just moved to wide open and um that's been a transition yeah well, people love it but um we were so we had 20 foot ceilings wow okay. um in our previous space it was like more of a um loft okay. and so our walls just went up like 10 feet so, and then there was like a pass through. So we had like three rooms and there would be like a pass through and back between the three right. rooms for me right? Uh, with no door. It was just like a cutout. And then our doors to each of the rooms, like between the rooms and the waiting area were barn doors. So okay. there was no actual privacy at all. Um, so that's, that's, it was a nice baby step. So it wasn't like it was super closed and we went to open, but we transitioned to open and, um, I, we had to like tell people like, we didn't, I didn't invent this. Now that kind of tells you a little bit about my personality that like our patients would be like, what the heck did Dr. (laughs) This is a way that people practice and have for a long time. And I, I follow a lot of, um, they're not students anymore, but like startups, this is the way that like very community oriented chiropractors are going are you seeing here's your next question um are you seeing a trend in like what where are things going as like you're seeing like everybody's asking for in 2020 that like 
five, 10 years ago was not something that was a main concern for a chiropractor. What is the trend going? Is it going more open? Well, I, you know, something that open doesn't work for every person's practice, right. right? So if they're doing, it depends on what they're doing. I definitely can tell you and may just be the practitioners that are coming to us. We definitely see less straight chiropractor and more that have added modalities and added means mm-hmm. to their practice. Um, so, and like I said, that just may be the people that come to us. I don't know, but what we, there, this has happened, I don't know, three or four times. And so is it a trend? It's just different. And it, it came from people that had been in practice for a long time and they have this vision and it was from like part, different parts of the United States. So it's not like they even knew each other and they talked about it, but it's the idea of this community space. Mm-hmm. and creating almost like a their their waiting area being a congregation area do you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and their front and desk the being a concierge and they're do you know what i'm saying it's just that's very different you know much more like their people are coming in and there's a there's free coffee it's not just free coffee but there's free nice coffee you know there's free mm-hmm. coffee things and there's free not free you know, they can buy, buy, you don't want a restaurant because that's a whole different code, but they can buy smoothies and, you know, the things, you know what I'm saying? They're they're creating a, um, their, their goal is to create a hangout place. Yep. Now I will say, I don't, all of these that I know of right now are in preliminary design or just being built. So they have a vision. I'm anxious to see how that works. It's just interesting that in a a period of about eight months, three of them came like that. Do you know what I'm saying? And COVID, two of them would already be open if COVID hadn't stopped the construction, but it's still going to be. And and now with COVID, it's like, okay, how's this going to work? And they believe, they believe it's even people are hungry for it. So they're going to come to a holistic practice and it's going to be, this is what they're going to get because they're hungry for it and they're sick of the, the other parts of it. So it's it's interesting. It'll be good to see how it as long as they get the regulations passed it to open. How are you guys doing? So Oh no, Wisconsin is terrible right now with COVID. Like I'm supposed to go to Palm Springs in a couple of weeks and I keep checking to see if there's actually a specific rule. If you're coming from Wisconsin, you have to quarantine because we're like lit up right now, apparently. It's because we are a bunch of alcoholics who go to the bars. Like basically, like that's kind of what they're the uh, the not so nice way of saying it. Of like we just can't stay out of the bars. Like especially the students and stuff. So in school, so so no. But as far as practice wise, that was exactly what we were looking for. So when we were looking for a space, if you'd asked me like what are you looking for, I would have said grass space. I want grass. I want um, an area for kids to be able to run and play and for moms to be able to sit and drink their coffee and their kids to run and play. And so um, everything about our design was like, I don't want people to feel like they have to leave. So in our previous one, the bottleneck was actually our waiting area because people would come and they would have to go through the waiting room to get to the offices or the 
Adjusting. Yeah. Okay. So then as parents and families who were just getting done adjusting would come back into the waiting room to leave, like, cause that's how they had to get out. People were coming. And so they would see each other and be like, ah, oh my gosh. But then like the people who were coming were like, oh, I think we're supposed to get in the room. And the people who were leaving were like, felt in the way. And so we just wanted the waiting area to not be like, you could hang out there and not feel like you were in the way, like hang out there for 45 minutes and you were really not interrupting our flow of patients coming and going. And so that was super important to us. Um, I have a question on designing pediatric practices. Okay. I find that there is very few practices who they either feel like they have to go like Disney cartoon, like we're pediatric. And if that's what they want, that's fantastic. But then I also see a lot of practices that claim to be pediatric and like see 40 to 50% kids who make a practice that is more for mom. Like it's very, I call it the Joanna Gaines practice where it's like, there's little breakable stuff on on the counter and like all these things that kids are naturally going to like want to climb and ruin. And I struggle with that because it's like, well, you made a practice for mom where she's going to feel anxious that her kid's going to bust up something. So like, what are some ways that you would recommend? And this will be your last question only, but like you would recommend kind of straddling that line where you don't like you take into account kids are going to come through here. Um, but not feel like but making mom and kid feel comfortable. So my answer to that would be create it as close to their family room as possible. So think about their family room. It's comfortable. It's, but it's not, and it's attractive. So mom feels good in it. Mom wants to invite people over, you know, if you think about the normal, but it's not, it's okay that there's toys in the corner mm-hmm. you know and there's a yeah. there's an area you said it there's nothing that the kids can hurt or hurt themselves with that's huge that's a huge thing because you're right you'll you'll have practices that they if if you really want to cater to that if you really want the majority of your um patients to be in that mode that they have kids and they feel comfortable bringing their kids then it's got to feel comfortable that the kids aren't going to hurt anything so that's what we that's the thought process what would you put in your living room you know what i'm saying so as opposed to and there are practices that they really really want to focus on kids they're focused on autism they're focused on kids specialty Mm -hmm. severe cases things of that sort they're not going to be about the parents they're Mm -hmm. not you know, they're not adjusting the parents, maybe, or they're, the parents are secondary to their adjustment. Right. Yeah. So then you, you change that, you practice, you, you make it feel like Disney, you know, if that's what it takes. So you make it feel fun, you make it feel, um, you could sometimes, um, you make it feel fun. I, I'll just say this one thing, but you don't want it to be so fun that you can't get your kid out of there when you need to go. 
or get him on the adjusting table when he needs to go, you know? Oh, yeah. I gave <laughs> up on needing a kid to get on the adjusting table years ago because I was like, all right, I because you kind of do this like awkward, like I'm smiling, but I have patients that are stacking up and the mom's just like, Timmy, get off the trampoline. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to go to the trampoline and adjust to me. So that's what we do now. I'm just like, I'm just going to go to your kid and we're going to do a waiting room adjustment. That's fantastic. There, there you go. There you go. So that's, that's speaking of that, you know, or yeah. And how do you create, you're creating a culture. Mm-hmm. So you design, if you understand that every interior designer focus on what culture do you want to create and every element that's decided in there should be supporting that and in, and impacting and boosting that culture, whatever that culture is. That's why getting really clear, that's what, like I said, back in our step one, when I tell our students, you start collecting vision boards, you start putting together, you just keep looking and thinking and, and creating what you want. But there are times, and you said it very beautifully, that there is a, how do I say what I'm saying? Most of the time, the chiropractors designing for their personality. Yes. They're okay. making their clinic. They're making it their clinic. Now, the pro of that is you're there a long time. So you've got to love it and be proud of it. And most of the time, your clinic is your personality anyway. It's your branding and your what you're putting out there. But if you're a 30-something-year-old woman and you have a pediatric practice, you need to as you grow, it needs to stay a pediatric practice. As you become a 50-year-old woman, how do you stay, if you want to stay a pediatric practice, you follow what I'm saying? So what you like, it's staying in that. So what you should be designing for is your ideal patient, Mm -hmm. period. And you attract, that's what restaurants do. So we talk about design of a chiropractic office is definitely healthcare. But it's not strict healthcare, right? I mean, it's not that, you know, it's not an urgent care office and things of that sort. Although cleanability is important for any practice period just for making it easy, you know, and making it wonderful. Um, not even talking COVID here. But the, the idea is that if you think about creating a first impression and you're creating a culture, so your first impression needs to immediately, when people walk in there, it, it's just like your brand. It's your business card. Are they seeing what makes them feel trust that they can trust this? They know, like, and trust. You've heard that in marketing. Mm-hmm. So they know, does this match up with what I think I'm coming to see? Okay. What I think it's going to be like. Um, so it's first impression because you can only have an opportunity to make one first impression. Mm-hmm. Then the second thing is that you, that attracts your patients. Okay, that, that makes the new patients come in and feel comfortable. The thing that makes people come back is the culture. So if you think about first impressions, retail are excellent first impressions. You go into a store, what you're going to buy in the store better match up with the look of the store. So it can look like Walmart, which is very purposely designed, and or it can look like some high-end you know, retail store or something of that sort or somewhere in between. It's like, what, what does that feel? What, what am I buying? Does this match up? Mm-hmm. Then the culture comes from, think of hospitality design. So it's like, hey, I want to wind down and I want to go have a nice dinner. You think of the atmosphere and the culture that space creates. So that's hospitality design or the hotel or the restaurant. 
that's what's going to keep your patients there. It's going to help retain your patients, that it matches up with that. Those are just part of the creation of design. So does that help? It helps so much. Okay, so please tell people where they can get, like you have so, so many resources. (laughs) Tell people where to go to get some of those free resources. So um, our website is chiropractic office design and dot com. And on that website, actually, as they gave me a code that I was supposed to tell you for all the she slay, right? Yeah. And did my Lauren give you that? I know it's on here somewhere. I think it's chiropracticofficedesign.com forward slash she slay. But let me confirm that as I open up this email real quick that I had open and it's not open anymore. And let's see. Yes. So it's chiropracticofficedesign.com forward slash S-H-E-S-L-A-Y-S. Perfect. And what that does is that'll take your um, your listeners to a landing page that they can get our four free resources, just real easy. And so we have the five biggest, biggest mistakes. We have free floor plans, which I think you said you got some mm-hmm. of our floor plans. We've also got a checklist for starting a new practice. It's, it's what I use as the outline for the classes that we teach. And it goes through, it literally is a checklist. It was, it was styled after a wedding planner checklist. What you do each phase and then the the last thing I have is specifically for that practice that just wants a facelift so they're not moving they're not going into another space because we also do that also we help practices having to create a new brand a new image within their space and it is what we call our designer checklist and it would be literally the first things a designer would walk through and say what you need to do to improve your practice just just most most of it has to do with making your eyes open to things that aren't working or they're dirty or scratched or Mm -hmm. things of that sort. But it's like a checklist that way. So those are our four main resources that we have. There's a ton of other resources on our blog. There's planning, there's how to, how much space you need, all those type of things that we teach. And then what we did um, several years ago is we took our top 100 floor plans and we packaged them for sale. So they normally sell for $49 and there is a code on that for 30% off. So if you want, and that helps, that really does help a lot of people just process through all the different ways you can practice if they're looking at it because they go, they're all over the board. They're from 800 square feet to 8,000 square feet. So just kind of just as a, as a frame of reference. So that's what we have. And then I'm also going to share with you that I'm real excited that we are creating a done for you interior package. And what our goal is, and it's, it's just in the works. So when I get it out, I'll send it over to you. But what we we have a lot of people come to us just like you and think an interior designer is very expensive. Okay. So the part of the interior designer that can be very expensive is the amount of time it takes to put together a scheme. Okay. And that's the interior part, the decorating part, if you follow me. And that's also part of the gifting of a designer. So they're educated on codes and plans and all that, but they come with the gifting of knowing how to put things together. 
and the design part of it. So, and you said your mother was probably into that too. So, so what we've done is we've taken and we've developed six and we're getting ready to develop eight branded schemes that like we have a serene and we have a traditional and we have a transitional, it's everything put together. And what you'll do is you'll buy it. You'll get, this is what hasn't been developed yet is the videos, which happened to be the podcast I listened to was about the videos. Oh, that was good. Really, that was a really interesting, um, interesting opportunity. But um, training and all the samples, all the finishes, all the paints, the floors, the lighting, the furniture, everything, all packaged together. And so you'll buy this package and you'll get a box 72 hours later with all the finishes in it. So you got it and it's done. So it's kind of done. We call it done. Yes, please. We got it done for you. So we're doing that. And um, yeah, sometime I'd love you to look at it. I'm still trying to figure out how to price it exactly. Um, But it's, it represents about $6,000 of design time that you would pay a designer to do if they were doing it just for you. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's just packaged. So that's what we, that's, and we felt really led to do that because there is a lot of people out there that just need a fresh brand mm-hmm. and they have a do-it-yourself mentality, but they don't really know how to do it. So they can take this and apply it to their space is the goal. Kind yep. of is the, that's, that's our so that's our, smart. Well, do you think so? I think it's really smart. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been fun. It's kind of like when it slowed down during COVID, it's like, well, let's just keep designing. Let's just keep designing non spaces. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, Carolyn, thank you so much for your time. And thank you, like, as a non chiropractor, you, me, I'm a chiropractor, but like, thank you for realizing the dysfunction. Like, we're chiropractors are so cool. Like, we have such a great message. And I feel like there's so many times where there's outside professions, whether they're accountants or lawyers or designers who are just like, oh, hon, let me, let me just help you out a little bit here. So like, <laughs> thank you for everything that you have done for chiropractors and like all of the free stuff that your company gives and like how much you help because you don't feel like you can just go hire anybody and they're going to understand our space because they like, if I just go hire a designer like they're going to be like, oh, okay. So you're like a doctor's clinic and you're like, oh God, no, 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 no. That's not what we're going for. And they're like, okay, so you're like this. And you're like, have you been to a chiropractor before? And so it's like, it's really good to know that there are people out there that get on some level what we're trying to do. I mean, you probably understand it more than we do half the time. Like, let me help you, honey. So Uh, yeah, well, you're welcome because um, I'll share this with you is that when I felt led to do this and it was a, I do feel God led me here to do this. And so when I felt led to do this and I shared it with my other designer friends, they're going to go, what chiropractors, their spaces are horrible. And I said, that's exactly why we want to do it. Mm-hmm. So when we started this and I'd have our clients go find spaces that they'd like, I'd specifically say, I don't think you're going to find any chiropractic spaces you like. You're just not going to find them. You can Google chiropractic offices you just can't find them and what we've seen we hope that we believe that and we hope and believe that we've been part of that is we've seen more and more offices really elevate Mm -hmm. where they are whether we've done them or not I mean plenty of them out there that we haven't done that it's begun to kind of become more of expected if you better have a nice office and I'll just share with you this happened to dentist 
20, 30 years ago. So dentists used to not have very nice offices. They were pretty much a box, you know, just, mm-hmm. and if you go and you start to get, cause I used to tell our chiropractors, go, go Google dentist offices and find images because they've just, and they're, you're in competition. You're in competition. It's part of your marketing. It's part of your competition. So with that being said, I can preach all day. <laughs> well, the transition from coffee to wine. So thank you very much for thank the opportunity you. to share. So all right, she slayers, um, go to the link um, that she provided. We will have it in the show notes for you as well. Get those resources. They are fantastic resources. Um, also, like reach out to them with questions and like get a price if you are looking. Like it's you know save save yourself some headache because my so, so I'll end with this we do a complimentary consultation it's it's about an hour we talk specifically about your problem and give you a specific price on what an offering that we can do to help so it is oh, there yeah. i didn't even talk about that <laughs> yes get the free consult for sure so all right all right slayers until next week bye bye Hey, She Slayers, are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? SCED has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission, and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCED because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait.